a minister was was traveling on a train in Europe, where he was he was sharing um, a riding compartment with with a young man. The two spent some time uh, conversing with one another. And the minister learned that the young man was also a Christian. But he was very weak in his faith and struggling with many hardships and temptations. So much so that he told the minister he did not think he could stand life any longer. The minister took his Bible and a small pocket knife and said, I want to show you something. I will make this knife stand up on the cover of this Bible in spite of the rocking of the train. The young man, thinking this was some stupid trick, watched the minister open his pocket knife And hold it on his Bible. The minister said, see, I'm doing it. To which the young man replied, yes, but you are holding it up. Why, of course, said the minister. Did you ever hear of a pocket knife standing on its end without being held up? Then the young man understood and said, I see you mean to teach me that I cannot stand unless Christ holds me up. Thank you for reminding me of that. The last time we were in the book of Revelation, it was like three, four weeks ago. It just sounds like a forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were looking at the the tribulation period, and we finished with the question: Who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? This morning, I I want to answer that question. But before I do, I want to to give you a review of what we have covered thus far to kind of get us back into the the mindset of the end times because several weeks have elapsed, okay? As you know, the Apostle John, the last surviving apostle, was the author of this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who put pen to paper. And if you recall, John, who was likely in his mid-90s, found himself on Patmos, which was a Roman penal colony situated on a barren volcanic island. John was exiled there by the Roman authorities, subjected to forced labor in the marble mines for preaching 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. John was doing what God wanted him to do. John was in the center of God's will. And yet, John was suffering for it. The Roman authorities wanted to shut John up. They wanted to, they wanted to stop his ministry. So they put him on this rock surrounded by water. But that didn't work out too well because we are studying the fruit of that exile, the book of Revelation. Now, if you remember, we learned this book is actually a letter, a really long letter written to seven real churches in Asia Minor. Remember that? These churches faced intense persecution. They were pressured to compromise their faith. And these churches needed encouragement to stand. They needed to be challenged to live godly lives in an ungodly world. We can relate to that. And these churches needed hope. For the future. They needed to know that in spite of their present reality, as difficult as it may be, God was still on the throne. Jesus will return just as he promised. He will be victorious. Good will ultimately triumph over evil. And in the end, it will all be worth it for those who overcome by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. So this letter was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. And even though these churches were from a different place, a different culture, and a different time. We saw in our studies that the characteristics of these churches were still very relevant for us today. So I believe these seven churches also represent all churches throughout all times worldwide. Collectively, they represent the church age. Okay? Now, after chapters 2 and 3, okay, after chapters 2 and 3, after the Lord spoke extensively about the churches, the church is no longer mentioned in the book of Revelation until we get to chapter 19, after the tribulation period has come and gone. The church is not referenced during the tribulation period, and I believe this is one of the reasons to suggest that the church will not be present during the tribulation period. The church will be raptured, caught up into heaven, with the Lord before he pours out 
His judgment and His wrath upon the lost inhabitants of the earth. I find it hard to accept, personally, I find it hard to accept that the church will experience God's judgment and God's wrath when Jesus took it upon himself for us. After the rapture of the church, the tribulation period on the earth actually begins with activity in heaven. By the breaking of seals fixed on a scroll. Remember that? If you remember, Jesus took a scroll that had seven seals on it from the Father's hand. The scroll was like a title deed to the earth and given as an inheritance. And ownership was transferred from the Father to Jesus, the Son. And it is Jesus who breaks the seals on this scroll. Now, the last time we were in Revelation, we were in chapter 6. And I began the chapter with some crucial context provided to us by the prophet Daniel. I told you back then I would go through it again, and I'm going to do that here, okay? If you recall, Daniel was praying for his people, the Jews, for they were in captivity in Babylon. And while he was praying, God sent his angel, Gabriel, to give Daniel some comforting words. And this is what Gabriel said to Daniel in chapter 9, verse 24. So if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Are you there? Okay. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. If you remember, 70 weeks literally means 70 sevens. Okay? 70 sevens. And in context, in context here, we are talking about 70 seven-year periods, which adds up to 490 years. Remember that? The angel Gabriel told Daniel 
this period was focused on Daniel's people, the Jews, not the church. The church is not in focus here, and that's important. Then Gabriel described the purpose of this 490-year period. And taken as a whole, he speaks to Israel's eventual repentance and forgiveness of sin by turning to Jesus as their Messiah and the establishment of the Lord's earthly kingdom at His second coming where everything is made right. That is the eventual outcome, the outcome, after the 490 years have run their course. So Gabriel tells Daniel what the end looks like. But what about the beginning? When would this 490 year period start? Well, Daniel tells us. Let's look at verse 25 of Daniel chapter 9. Are you there? And he says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Here, Gabriel reveals two out of three segments of this 490 year period. The first segment, he says, is seven weeks, or we could say seven sevens, which equates to 49 years. And it begins with a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. This decree was made in 445 B.C. when King Xerxes gave Nehemiah permission, safe passage, and the necessary supplies to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. The second segment given by Gabriel is 62 weeks, or... 62 sevens, or 434 years. Are you following me with the math? Okay. It begins after the first segment. And it extends up to the triumphal entry where Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem and publicly declares himself the Messiah. So adding these first two segments together, 
from the, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the Lord's triumphal entry into that same city would be 69 sevens or 483 years. Did I just lose you? Good. <laughs> okay. 483 years. That's where, we're, that's where we're at so far. We started with 490. And 483 have come and gone. So that leaves us with only one week, the 70th week, or seven years. So what happened to the remaining seven years? Well, we're given the answer in the first part of the next verse, verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. So after the first, excuse me, after the second segment is completed, we are told the Messiah will be cut off, executed, crucified. And it's at that point the calendar stops with the seven years remaining. The Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And as a consequence, they would be set aside for a season to usher in the church age. And the church would now carry out God's mission to reach a lost and dying world who does not know him. Israel had hardened its heart toward the Lord. And so the church would be front and center. But after the church is raptured, after the church age has come and gone, then the calendar starts back up again with the seven years remaining. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans 11, verse 25, where he says, For I do not want you, brethren to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. In other words, when God has accomplished his purposes through the church, he will turn his attention again to the nation of Israel. And the calendar starts back up again with the remaining seven years called the time of Jacob's trouble, or what we refer to as the tribulation period. A time where God's judgment and wrath is poured out upon the world, literally hell on earth, but it will serve a divine purpose. That being to bring those who are lost, and more specifically, the Jewish people, Daniel's people, 
to repentance and salvation. That is the outcome after the 490 years have run their course. So, that was the context. That's a lot of context, wasn't it? That was the context for Revelation chapter 6, where Jesus began to break the seals one at a time on the scroll. The tribulation period starts with the breaking of the first seal by Jesus. And surprisingly, we are presented with peace. With peace facilitated by a counterfeit Christ. It's the Antichrist who brings about a peace treaty between Israel and her neighbors, but it's a false peace, and it's a short-lived peace. Following peace, or false peace, there is war. Then there is famine, and the culmination resulting in death. These are the first four seals that are broken often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The fifth seal was broken, which represented persecution against those who had become believers during the tribulation period. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, okay? Then Jesus broke the sixth seal. And this is all review. He broke the sixth seal, If you remember, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. The seal represents the events, I believe, occurring in the last half of the tribulation period. Where John describes a world that appears to be unraveling at the seams. Literally, it is earth-shaking and earth-shattering. It is catastrophic. It is terrifying. And the question is asked at the end of chapter 6. Who is able to stand? That's a good question, isn't it? And we might answer, well, nobody is able to stand. But in chapter 7, we learn there are actually two groups of people who will stand. So if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, and we're going to begin with verses 1 and three, one through 3. Revelation 7, 1 through 3. Are you there? Okay. After this... I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, 
having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Let's stop right there. In this passage, the Apostle John describes a momentary pause in the action between the sixth and the seventh seals. We're told that four angels stand on the four corners of the earth, which for some might give the idea that the earth is actually flat. And I know there are those flat earthers out there who believe the the globe description of the earth is an elaborate hoax and a conspiracy with NASA and government agencies, okay? It's a globe, okay? It's a globe, okay? And these four corners are just a figure of speech for compass points. North, south, east, west, okay? These angels are commanded to hold back four winds. Winds which are symbolic of the destructive force of God's judgment that is about to blow across the earth in every direction. These angels have been given power to execute this judgment. But for the moment, they are taking a time out. A time out. Because of a command given by a fifth angel. This fifth angel comes from the direction of the sunrise and tells the other four angels to hold until the bond servants have been sealed. That word seal refers to an official stamp. But it's different from the seven seals on the scroll that Jesus holds. Those seals were meant to hide the contents of the scroll. But this seal is meant to signify possession and protection. God's love is such that he will not do anything in the way of his judgment and his wrath until his people are secured. Then John gives us a description of these bondservants beginning in verse 4. Verse 4. This is John speaking. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. One hundred and forty-four thousand sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 
12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Ishtar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. This is the only list of the tribes in the New Testament. And out of these tribes, a believing remnant will be chosen and protected from the wrath of God, for they are marked as belonging to God. These are Jews. These are Jews specifically identified as Jews by their tribes. Not the church, and definitely not the Jehovah's Witness. Just want to toss that in there, okay? Remember, remember, the tribulation period is primarily focused on Daniel's people, the Jews. Now, if you noticed, the tribe of Dan is not listed. The tribe of Dan is not listed. We're not told why they are not listed, but I suspect... It's because of their history of deep idolatry. If you remember in our study of Judges, way, way back when, the tribe of Dan did not take possession of their portion of the promised land. Instead, they moved way up north. And when the kingdom was divided into the northern and southern kingdoms, Dan became one of the two centers for idolatry in the northern kingdom. This could explain why Dan is not mentioned in this list. And the half-tribe of Manasseh, one of Joseph's sons, is counted instead. So the 144,000 are special Jews. They are Jews. They are sealed and protected. And we are told later in Revelation chapter 14 that these men are completely dedicated to the Lord. They are faithful and courageous. They follow the Lord and they do His bidding without question during the tribulation period. They will also meet Jesus on Mount Zion when He returns to set up His earthly kingdom at His second coming. The question was asked, who will be able to stand? And the first answer is these 144,000 Jews. They are special, but they are not alone. There is another group who is able to stand as well, and they are numberless. Let's read beginning with verse 9. Verse 9. Again, this is John speaking. After these things, I looked, 
And behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb is in the center of the throne, will be their shepherd, and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. One of the questions often asked in regards to the tribulation period is whether anyone will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ during this terrible time. And the answer is absolutely yes. That's what this is all about. This is a last ditch effort to bring people to salvation both Jews and Gentiles alike. In this passage, we are told there is a great multitude of people, so vast that John makes no attempt to even declare a number. They are numberless. Now, if you noticed, John said they came from different nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Let's talk about that for a moment. Some may think that once we get to heaven, we are all the same. Almost as if there's a a cookie cutter mold. Well, we just look the same. But that's not what John sees, is it? No. John tells us there are differences among people in heaven, just like there are here and now. We will not be the same. We will be individuals and we will recognize each other 
as individuals in heaven. I like that. So who is this great multitude of people? That was the question asked by an elder to John. To which John replied, I don't know. I thought you'd know. Well, the elder did know. And he answered, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. During the tribulation period, the gospel will be preached worldwide. I believe by these 144,000 who are like Jewish Billy Grahams. And a vast multitude of people will be saved by God's grace and God's mercy. These are tribulation saints who repented and turned to the Lord. And John sees them in heaven. He sees them in heaven because they were killed for identifying with Jesus Christ and refusing to worship the Antichrist. They are martyred. The worst thing the Antichrist could do to these people was to physically kill them. That was the worst he could do. Physically kill them. And it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to them. They gave up the pain and the suffering and the sorrow of a world gone crazy for the safety and the peace and the joy of an eternity in the presence of God. They may fall on the earth. They may fall on the earth, but as believers, they will be standing in heaven and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. On this earth, in the here and now, we have our share of heartbreak and pain and sadness and tears. Do we not? But one day, one day, in heaven, not now, in heaven, God will personally wipe every tear from our eyes forever. One translation reads, and God will make glad their eyes forever. I like that. Many things about heaven are a mystery to us. Okay? But some things are clearly revealed. We will not hunger and thirst. We will not suffer. There is no death, no sorrow, no pain, no curse. No disputes, no misunderstandings, no goodbyes. 
and no tears. The things that trouble us in the here and now will be totally absent in heaven. And for those who believe, that's a motivation to stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord God, for for who you are. Thank you for sending your son Jesus in a manger and then to a cross for us. You love us that much. I thank you, Father, for a heavenly inheritance. But I thank you, Father, even more so that one day we will stand in your presence. We will see Jesus face to face. What a day that will be. May you be honored and glorified in our lives. Father, I pray that we would experience you, that we would draw near to you, that we would not lose our focus on you, and that we would walk with you. May you be honored and glorified in our lives, in our speech, in our attitudes, in our thinking, in our behavior. Thank you that we can stand in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Several weeks ago, and I did not attend this, but uh, the women had a a Christmas party. I wasn't invited. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I heard that that uh, that uh, my wife uh, shared some things with with the women, and and she kind of and she didn't run this by me. It was fine. It was it was her thing. But but uh, she she had described her life like a book. I think it's I think it's how it, she described it like a book. And in a book there are chapters, right? In a book there are chapters. And some chapters, you know, they read like a like a Hallmark movie, all right? Other chapters not so much. Some chapters are full of joy and happiness and excitement. And then other chapters, difficulty and Hardship and sorrow and pain and tears. All part of the same book. Now, fortunately, we know how the book ends, don't we? <laughs> we, <laughs> we know how the book ends. We've already, we've already seen the last page of it. Does that minimize, does that minimize the the struggles and the hardships and the pain that we go through in the here now. It does give us hope, right? We have, we have sorrow just like everyone else and pain, but we can have hope. It's a different kind of sorrow. It's a different kind of sorrow. It's a sorrow that's kind of mixed with hope. I know it's kind of hard to understand, but it's a sorrow mixed with hope. And all through that, whether, whether the chapter is a, 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 a great chapter or a tough chapter, Christ is with us and he helps us to stand. He helps us to stand.
We cannot stand on our own, just like that knife cannot stand on the edge of a Bible. We stand because Christ holds us up. We can never lose focus of him. Never lose focus of him. He loves us too much. He loves us too much. I hope the Lord, uh, you know, just spoke to you this morning and pressed on your heart this morning. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Maybe there's something going on in your life. However the Lord is working in your heart, I just ask you to be obedient to him. Just be obedient to him. He loves us so much. Sometimes he asks us to do hard things. Oftentimes the hard thing is the right thing. (laughs) Right? Oftentimes the hard thing is the right thing. The Lord wants us to do the right thing because it's his thing. So however the Lord leads you this morning, I just pray you be obedient to him. Just follow him. Uh, Kathy, can you come up here, please? I just want to pray. I want to, I want to pray especially for her and the family as they, uh, as they deal with um, the loss of this, of this little one. This has got to be, it's just got to be very difficult, and I, I can't even imagine what, the, what this is like. And so I just want to just gather around them and, and, just, and, just, and just lift them up. Um, as, as they as they, they struggle with this, Father, I, I I just I just thank you so much. I thank you so much for your goodness, even in these times that just are just so hard, full of questions, may not make sense, may not seem fair. I could go on and on. You know this, Lord. You know this. This has just got to be a hard and just just traumatic time for this family father i pray your hand would just be would just be firmly firmly up on them would you give them comfort where comfort is needed and strength where strength is needed and father give them eyes eyes that are focused on you focused on you comfort the mom and the grandmom and the great-grandma, Lord God, as they deal with this, this loss. Comfort them, Lord God. Help them to see tomorrow. Help them to see the end of the book. And Father, it's not a, it's not a goodbye for this little one. It's just a see you later. Just see you later. Father, may you be honored and glorified. May you draw people to you, even in this difficult and hard time. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let me pray for uh, our offering this morning, and, and also I'll pray for our fellowship. I know there's some food back there, and so I know Trisha brought a big old ham, and we got enough for ham sandwiches or whatever, so I know we're small. Yes, absolutely, so please feel free to stay. Uh, so let me pray. Father, again, I thank you so much for, for who you are 
and what you've done for us. Even in difficult times, you are faithful and you are good. May you be glorified. Father, bless this time of the service where we give back to what you have richly blessed us with. Father, bless the, bless the gift and the giver. And help us, Father, as a church, to use your, your money wisely. And Father, for our fellowship afterwards, Father, I, I do pray that it would just be a time where we would just uh, uh, come together, love on one another. Lord God, I just pray that you'd bless the, the food that's been prepared and been brought. Bless the food to our bodies, Lord God. Pray, Lord, that it would nourish us. But most importantly, Father, just, just bless our fellowship with one another. Again, may you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.